Uh, we're going to spend a little bit more time in Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we've been for the last few weeks. Um, but before we get there, you feel welcome, feel free to turn there. Um, I want to give a little context. Hebrews 11 provides so much context for what Hebrews 12 says. In fact, Hebrews 12 starts with the word therefore, and, and that always means that it's made true or made possible by what's been said already. So Hebrews 11 is, is contextually an important part of this conversation, and so uh, we don't have time to read the whole thing, go through the whole thing today, but uh, there is one overarching like theme. Uh, you could sum up the theme of the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 with a word. And uh, it's stated from the onset, and it's recapped in the last verse. But uh, I'll, I'll just share with you the first verse of, of Hebrews 11, first two verses. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. The whole theme of Hebrews chapter 11 is faith. That is the whole, that's the whole conversation. And the author gives it uh, a whole chapter. And, and in fact, uh, Hebrews 11 contains what some people call the Hebrews Hall of Faith, where you get rattled off like 17 names of historic biblical heroes uh, heroes of the faith. You get Noah. You get Moses. It's a who's who. You get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rahab. You get it's it's an amazing lineup of incredible biblical heroes, and and it's a little snapshot of all their stories. Just a little brief snapshot, but the focus and the emphasis is not even their performance. It's not their success as being uh, moral great people because the truth is every person listed or talked about is critically human and uh, uh, completely flawed and missed the mark so much. But uh, these people also um, lived in a place of faith. Faith was required. What God intended to do and then through them, and, and the Bible says the author makes it clear, that's the way these, these individuals gained approval. It says the men of old, but it, that just means our elders. Um, our elders historically have always gained approval by faith, by belief. And so uh, that's, that's the setup. That whole conversation, and again, he addresses that, says it again at the end of chapter 11, says the same thing. This is how these individuals gained approval. And by faith. And so the author shifts a conversation in Hebrews chapter 11 about their journey into Hebrews chapter 12 is a conversation about our journey. And so this is historically what has happened in throughout time, throughout uh, generations of believers. This is what God has done since day one. And, and then it transitions into a, a conversation about us running our race, enduring our race. And, and he, he, he makes a statement. The author ends the chapter by reiterating, this is how these individuals gained approval. And then he, then he also says something clearly. We have an advantage that they don't have. 
there's something that God has supplied to us that is better than what they experienced. And what is that? What's our advantage? Well, we have Jesus. Uh, every one of these individuals born in, were born and lived a life before God himself showed up. As, as one uh, translation of the Bible says it, uh, God himself uh, moved into the neighborhood. And so God descended. The incarnation. Jesus arrived. He took, he took on human flesh and frailty and took our place. And so we have something. We have an advantage that these individuals prayed for and would have killed. We have the person of Christ who lived the life of faith that we're called to live for us. He ran the race for us. So where these humans, it was riding on them, uh, we have something so much better, and that is a person, God himself, willing to take all the responsibility of holiness, all the responsibility of righteousness, all the responsibility of sinlessness, all the responsibility, everything that there is to do for us to do, he did. And then imputed that, credited that to you. That is an extraordinary gift. And it is because of that, uh, it's with that in mind that the author of Hebrews steps into chapter 12 with this statement. Therefore, because Jesus has come in order to finish the race, win the race for each one of us. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. Uh, I love the picture of being cheered on by this cloud of witnesses. I love that. And, and what it speaks to is that we are not alone and we are not individuals living an individualistic life. That as believers, we are part of a greater story. It is not just my story. My story is part of a greater story that is multi-generational, that started in the Garden of Eden, and it's going to end when Jesus comes back to bring us all home. And, and this is a bigger story. And I think sometimes we feel insignificant. We feel small. We feel, uh, we feel uh, overlooked. But the truth is we are part of this amazing big picture that God is painting on the earth and this cloud of witnesses is cheering us on is encouraging us it's almost like if the race were not just a individual marathon but this is like a relay race that these heroes of the faith have passed the baton and now we are running the race uh, in, in part of this amazing story and then the Bible says that we should, in this race, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Um, the, the whole picture here is our life, our journey is being compared to a race. It's 
just talking about Christian life, our human existence, our time on planet Earth, which is finite in comparison to eternity. It is a blip. It is a, it is a moment in time. It's a second in light of eternity. But this, this endeavor, this, this life on Earth is compared to a race. And the Bible says that in running this race, sometimes as if the race isn't tough enough, sometimes it feels like we are carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. Like someone has loaded us up with sandbags. And then sometimes it feels like we've got bungee cords tied around our feet and we're supposed to run this race to win and we are being burdened and encumbered and entangled and ensnared and it makes it nearly impossible. And a lot of that is the reason why people throw in the towel and they quit the race. Because it's impossible. It is so difficult. What is being talked about here, every encumbrance, anything that weighs you down, and anything that easily entangles you. Now, as soon as we start talking about sin, we, we, start talk, we start thinking of the verb sin, naughty, naughty no-nos. That is a naughty no-no. You do not do that. We think of the verb sin. That is not the conversation. We reduce, we reduce the conversation of sin to verbs, to naughty actions. And that's why a lot of times people can't get over the, uh, the, the thought of being forgiven of your sins. It was like, well, I, I still sin, though. Yeah, we all do. And we're all pretty good at it. But the conversation of sin is not to be reduced to just a verb or an activity. The, the conversation of sin is a noun. And it is the weight and the ruling power of sin. Man turned inward. Man's self-salvation. The, uh, Martin Luther once said that the sin beneath all sins is that the lie that we can't trust the love and the grace of God. So we take matters into our own hands. We go into business for ourselves. Sin is a self-salvation project. By doing things to make ourselves feel more fulfilled, more alive, uh, to give our life meaning and purpose, and to try to bring some sort of joy into our lives, we take matters in our own hands. We become our own God. That's what sin is. Man turned inward. So we're talking about a bigger conversation of sin, not just the verb, but the noun, sin, the subject of sin. And that sin uh, easily entangles us. As well as other things, the worries of the world and cares and concerns of this world, trying to justify ourselves and please other people, living as a people pleaser. All these things are weights and burdens as we try to run this race. And the Bible says clearly here to let all that go. Lay it aside. What's being said here, and not to oversimplify it, is this. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. In fact, this whole conversation about every encumbrance, any weight, any burden, as well as the sin that easily entangles us, these are not your problem. These problems belong to Jesus. The, the, the burden and being entangled in sin is because we try to make that our problem and those things do not belong to us. Jesus became our sin. He took every sin upon Himself for you. 
Your problem is not a sin problem. Now, we all have the problem that we sin, but your problem is not a sin problem. Jesus solved the sin problem at the cross. He put a period at the end of the sentence, it is finished. He was punished for our crimes. He took our sin self. He went to the crucifixion. He took the death penalty. We were tried. We were guilty. He said, I will, I will take the death penalty for them. And now we live completely free. Sin does not loom over our head. The, the judgment, the weight of sin over our head because it's already been tried and punished. It will not be revisited upon you because Jesus has taken that upon Himself. Is not Jesus, His sacrifice, His blood, His death, His resurrection, plus my goodness, togetherness, and moral responsibility equals salvation and righteousness? No. The only thing that I bring to the table is a sin that made His sacrifice necessary. Jesus has paid the price. So this conversation is to say every encumbrance, every sin, all the things entangle us and weigh us down, Remember, those aren't your problem. Cast them upon Christ. Allow Him to shoulder the load. His shoulders are the only ones that could ever bear the burden of sin and the weight of the world. So from the onset, from the beginning, from the starting block, the author's saying, let that go. The Bible moves the emphasis immediately. The author of Hebrews... The emphasis immediately from that point where it says, hey, uh, I want you to remember you are supported, you're encouraged, you're surrounded, you're not alone, you're part of the story. Let go, uh, unload, cast your cares, let Jesus have this, and then immediately, that's the only focus, that's the only highlight we get. Immediately the, the, the focus shifts to this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And then it goes on to say, consider him who's endured such hostility, who's endured everything for us. The emphasis moves on to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him the author and the perfecter of your faith. I love that. It's not even generic. Uh, I would have written it this way. The author and perfecter of faith. That's how I would have written it. Because faith is this nebulous idea that I have in my little pea head. The author wants you to consider your faith. In fact, that is the entire conversation here. This conversation is not about running techniques This conversation is not about your diet as you run. This this conversation is a conversation of faith. This is about faith. That's why the entire chapter before it was used to set up the theme, the point. It's faith. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on the author, the perfecter of your faith. Every single person. 
no matter where they're from, what they've done, their history, their background, doesn't matter. Every single person has a personal belief system that informs their entire life. I'll call it a theology. Everyone has a theology. Now, theology is God-specific, but it is God-specific. It's always God-specific. You might say, well, Christians who are atheists, they don't have a theology. No, they do. To be an atheist is to have a theology about God. Now, you're wrong, but that doesn't make it any less of a theology. It's a belief. People, uh, a lot of people outside the faith will scoff at the notion of faith. And like, well, you are living by faith yourself. You are trusting and believing that there's nothing out there. Do you know? Well, yes, I've been informed. Okay. But you've, you've, no one knows. We have to, we're forced to live by faith. We don't have an option. Now, many among us, myself included, I'm the chief sinner, are control freaks. And we like to avoid the notion of trusting anything other than ourselves. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have a choice. We have to trust. We have to. And so everyone formulates or has this formulated for them a personal belief system that informs everything we do. You are what you believe. What you believe determines what you do, the decisions that you make, where you go, what you say, how you feel. What you believe determines everything. That's what this conversation is about. And our belief system is like SpongeBob SquarePants. It soaks up everything around us. We are always, our, our, our belief system is always being edited and added to, and it's always accumulating more and more. And a lot of the way that we believe just happened because of the way we were raised. We, we caught Granny's theology. At some point, it's got to be personal. A lot of people are informed by the world around us, what we read, what we listen to, what we... I, 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 unfortunately, and, I, and I, I, never, I tried to never do this, in describing my belief in my theology, I will... I, I try to never bring up a human being's name. Some people, it, 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 it happened in the Bible, Paul brought up, he said, some people are like, I'm an Apollos guy. And some people are like, I'm a Paul guy. And, G, and Paul's like, I'm a Jesus guy. And a lot of theologies and even, even uh, denominations are built on the revelation, the personal revelation of a human being. Frail and fractured as they are. And so uh, some people will tell me and inform me to describe how they believe they'll bring up a human being. And some of, a lot of the human beings they bring up are still living on the planet Earth. I'm like, that's it's bad enough to trust the dead ones. The living ones, having done all the messing up they're going to do, there, there's a lot more messing up that's going to happen, trust me. But people bring up other human beings, other preachers, other evangelists, other pop culture icons, other, other influencers their names to shape their belief. And, and that is normal. We all catch it. We all kind of are informed by the world around us, what we listen to. We hear a good thought, and you're like, that's, that's what I believe. Yep. 
But at the end of the day, here's what the author's talking about. You've got to come back to fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He wrote it. He's the perfecter. He lived it. He wrote it. He lived it. You know, when, when legalists, Pharisees, would bring up the law to Jesus, he would always remind them, hey guys, I'm God. And you think you're keeping the law, but you're crazy. You're not. The Sermon on the Mount is, in, in the whole message, 15 minutes of doubling down on this fact. You can't get there. You don't have the goods. But Jesus did. He always did, consistently. So our personal belief system is primarily forged, created, informed by where our focus is and what has our heart and our attention. Our, our, our real theology, our theology about God and life is primarily informed by what has our focus and what has our heart or our attention. Which is exactly why the, the author clearly says, fix your eyes on Jesus, consider Him. In other words, let Jesus have your focus and let Jesus have your heart and your attention. It's amazing that this little... I, to me, it's like... I, I, I don't, don't want to sound... Um, disrespectful saying it this way, but this throwaway verse to me, or these throwaway verses, these words that you skip over, are so factual 2,000 years later. This is so accurate. Yes, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Him. That's exactly why we miss it That's exactly why our faith dwindles. That's exactly why we feel unstable is because we fix our eyes, our focus is on something else, and our consideration, our attention is on something else. So accurate. We've spent six weeks talking about endurance, believe it or not. In James chapter 1, we spent a lot of time there, which tells us that endurance itself is a gift from God. A gift from God that comes through by way of the testing of our faith. Endurance is the fruit of believing. It's the fruit of trusting. The entire context of the conversation in Hebrews uh, 11, the lead up to Hebrews chapter 12, is set up with, it's talking about faith. It's talking about the only thing that really matters. Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The righteous live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything not of faith is sin. Everything in our lives stems from what we believe. Everything. Proverbs 24-23 says, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. Romans 10-10 then informs us that it's with a heart a person believes. So the statement in Proverbs to guard your heart is to guard what you believe. Above all else, guard what you believe. Romans 10 goes on to say that uh, our faith is fed by something. There is a source that feeds 
and grows our faith. Our faith has a diet. What our faith consumes is the gospel. Romans faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The gospel fuels our faith. And I, I think along the way, what we hear in terms of the gospel is this idea the gospel ignites the fire of our faith. It, the gospel is the match that, that launches our faith, it ignites our faith. And that's true. But the gospel also fuels our faith. The gospel ignites our faith and it fuels our faith. Hearing what Christ has done for you is the only way we continue to live for Him. It's the only way. It's the only way we can run this race is by fixing our eyes on Jesus who ran it for us. The only way that we can endure the tough stuff that is promised, that's going to happen, and maybe for a lot of us is happening, the only way we can get through it and continue through it is by considering Him who's endured everything for you. I met a, a lady recently, in fact, uh, I, I quoted her at the beginning of the series that one of the inspirations for the series was the fact that if, if she were to uh, sum up, summarize life in a word, she'd say endurance. But this woman, um, her and her family, their, her story had me in tears. I met her through the event space here. And she was just telling me about her life and what she had faced. And I'm crying. And she's looking at me like my dope. I'm just like, I'm tearing up. And she's like, just matter of fact, yeah, this happened, this happened. And I looked at her and I said, how are you not bitter? How are you not angry? You know, it's Job's friends in the book of Job were great, great friends until they opened their mouths. And then they became idiots, which happens to a lot of us. But they're the ones who said, hey, Job, curse God and die already. Just, this is too much. And she told me, she said, Chris, he has done far more for me than I could ever do for him. Oh my gosh. One day I want to have faith like her. That's it is the only way you can endure and keep the faith, keep the faith, is by considering what he's endured for us. That's the only way. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, We look not at the things which are seen, at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The gospel is doing its work in our hearts and our lives when it shifts the focus off of creation onto the creator. Because it's one or the other. We're living for one or the other. The point of our life, the focus of our life, the emphasis of life, the, the fuel of our life is either creator or creation. We either, we either make God God or we make what God created God. There's no way around it. Somebody, somebody's 
booty is sitting on the throne of our hearts. And a lot of times, it's, it's mine. It's me. I'm the point. I'm the focus. I'm the emphasis. A lot of times, it's someone else. We become a little obsessive about really deifying humans. For some people, it's stuff. It's career. It's acknowledgement. It's, it's someone noticing you and, and approving of you. It's other people's approval. It's so many other things. The priority of the gospel is doing its work when it shifts our focus and our attention off creation onto the Creator where it belongs to be. Fix your eyes. Consider Him. The priority of the gospel sometimes decreases. The priority of hearing the gospel, reading the gospel, the hunger that we have to get the gospel, it will decrease a lot of times because we're fueling our lives on something else. I remember as a kid, the candy called runts. You guys remember runts? They were fruit-shaped, sort of hard, crunchy candy. And uh, Sam's Club, it created a bucket, a huge vat of just the banana ones. Banana ones are from heaven. They are God-sent. Amazing. Miraculous. My grandmother always had banana popsicles in her freezer. And, uh, and she bought these banana runts. And I remember going into the cabinet at her house and taking the vat of banana runts and eating them like cereal. Spoonful after spoonful after spoonful. And I remember my grandmother herself coming in Chris, we're eating dinner soon. And I remember the feeling of saying in my head, I'm not interested at all. I could not care less about chicken fried steak at that point. I could not care less about green beans. I cared about banana runs. And I was full on just sugar and whatever else those things are made of. It's not banana, I can tell you that much. Um... Sometimes we get full on the junk food and we just we don't want the good stuff. That's life. A lot of times we get so captivated with what the news is saying, what the scuttlebutt is, what gossip is, what what our career path is saying, what the self-help seminars and books are saying, what uh, the friends around us are saying that we we stop hungering for righteousness. We lose our, our taste for the gospel. I don't want to put all the eggs in the basket of Sunday morning at all. This is not the end-all, be-all. This is, this is part of a beautiful plan that God had. But really, it's the relationship and community that is represented here, that meets together here to worship Jesus. But the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake this. Don't lose sight of this. Don't let this fall down the priority list. And then it says, as is the habit of some. It's a habit. We get in the habit of eating banana runts. We get in the habit of eating 
the junk food and getting filled up on other things where like the, the priority list starts to change and adjust where we're like, man, I need the gospel. I need to hear about Jesus. And then after a while, you're like, I could take or leave it. Not today. Next week, maybe. Not next week. The week after, no big deal. Big bubbles, no troubles. We start to lose our hunger and that to me should be, it should be the check engine light to say, ah, what am I feeding my soul? Is it life or is it the, the runts of this world? The priority of the gospel has to remain at the top of the list. You fight for it. There is a good fight and there is a bad fight. The good fight is the good fight of faith. It's vital that we understand that the gospel is necessary. The gospel is not a truth. The gospel is the truth. In the same way that Jesus is not a way, Jesus is the way. Jesus is not a life. He's the life. Jesus is not a truth. He's the truth. He is the gospel. He is the word. He became flesh. The faith that the gospel brings creates stability in our hearts, in our lives, as we run this race, a stability that nothing else can give. Um, James 1, go back to that chapter, says that a, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The gospel does not pair well with anything else. You, you don't mix it. Straight, no chaser. The gospel is to be drank neat. You don't cut it with the gospel plus religion or the gospel plus humanism. The gospel plus anything else, it ceases to be the gospel. In the same way that grace plus anything else ceases to be grace. In order to run this race, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and consider Him continually in all that He has done for us. Choose this day who you will serve. Um, quote the great Bob Dylan. You've got to serve somebody. you got to. You're going to. Somebody's booty is on the throne. You're serving somebody. Your life is for directed by, fueled by someone or something. Here's the picture I'd like to paint as we close. Um, a lot of us have grown up under the impossible weight of religion. The, the notion that God is an angry, dissatisfied, temperamental deity that is scorekeeping, record-keeping, and keeping a watchful eye like a baseball umpire calling balls and strikes in your life. Someone that's meticulously critiquing like a food critic. This needs more salt. And we've grown up under the notion because of the way that the world is that God is only satisfied when we're living a perfect life. And you know what? Your standard perfection isn't even good enough. 
Because just when you think you're doing pretty well, you're going to feel guilt and shame because you're not doing quite good enough. You need to do more. You need to try harder. Some of us have grown up under the notion that our righteousness is standing, that is not secured, that is up for grabs, that it has to be paid for. In other words, we're leasing our righteousness. We're under a lease agreement, but we can easily break that lease and no longer be righteous. I remember hearing every Sunday, you may not know for sure that you're going to heaven. And that insecurity would always creep into my mind. Like, yeah, you know what? I have sinned this week. You know what? I have messed up this week. I I play golf, and my language on the golf course, I watched Happy Gilmore the other day again. I was like, I told my wife, I said, that's that's pretty much me. (laughs) I don't run and hit it like that, but everything else is pretty similar. Larry knows. <laughs> Larry has to be my priest every time I go play golf and absolve me of my sins. Bless, bless you, son. You have sinned. I, I mess up pretty, pretty regularly. <laughs> I mean, you can set your, your watch to me dropping the ball, messing up, having a bad attitude somewhere. And if we feel like our righteousness is up for grabs and outstanding, that is a life of insecurity with God. The Bible says boldly approach the throne of grace. You only boldly approach the throne of grace if you know that the person sitting on the throne loves you and forgives you. Christianity is about forgiveness. Christianity is not about moralism. Jesus didn't come and die to make bad people into sparkly clean good people. That sounds boring, and Jesus doesn't want... He spent all of His time with the much more exciting, dirty people. All of His time. If it was all about moralism, Jesus would have profiled and highlighted the Pharisees and said, these guys are doing it, what's wrong with you? But those are the people that He had the biggest issue with because they thought they were doing it. That's the problem. They had no need for him. Jesus said, I come, I've come for the sick, not the healthy. I came to give grace, to give life, to give righteousness, to give salvation to those who actually need it. We've grown up under this impossible rules and regulations and requirements and rituals and if you do this, and you do that, and then you do this, and you do that, and it just becomes mindless ritual. True faith, and that's the whole conversation today, true faith is freedom. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So much of religion and what people think is faith looks nothing like freedom. In fact, it looks like the opposite. Freedom means you can trust God that He's holding up His end of the bargain and that this is all riding on Him. Another proverb, 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's freedom. That I don't have to process, figure it out, or ace the course because Jesus did that in my place. Fear 
worry, anxiety, anger, pride, judgment, being offended, offense. These are impossible burdens. These are encumbrances that we pick up along the way. Let me just say this, and and having just said offense is one of those things, don't be offended. (laughs) When we feel compelled to defend ourselves every single time we're criticized, it proves, it shows us just how much we build our identity on being right. How much of an idol that is. When we feel the need to make sure that every single person we've ever met loves us and approves of us, it shows us how much that means to us and how much we build our life on that. When we when we build our whole life on justifying ourselves and proving ourselves to whoever that, that person is, that's what we've built our life on. Faith and the truth of the gospel frees us from that. And if you run fixated on yourself, how your shoes look, how cute you look in your running shorts, is your number staying on your shirt? How's your hair doing? Your makeup? How's your form? Knees? High knees? High knees? If you're just looking and obsessing over yourself, you're not going to win. Eyes up. Fixed on the finish line. Eyes on the prize. Not self-consumed and self-conscious. Christ-consumed, Christ-conscious. Fix your eyes on Him. Consider Him. That's what freedom looks like. Suddenly, when your eyes are fixed on what's your belief system is faith in Christ, in the finished work of Jesus, No longer do you feel handcuffed and enslaved to pleasing people and what people say and policing people. God help us. What a horrible career that is. One translation of the Bible calls those types of people knife-happy circumcisers. It's like psycho. It's a little bit off the top. No, no, no. Gross. Uh, No. Jesus said, catch... Listen, just, just go fish. I'll clean them. Just fish. You're fishing. You don't have to clean them. Put the knife down. Step away from the knife. You will treat people differently when you are there to love them and not to fix them. Running this race has to be fueled by faith. Has to be. And there's a lot of other things that compete for that place in our hearts and our lives. There's a lot of other things that want to sneak in and become the fuel, the reason, but only one will do. The righteous live, run by faith.